Heavenly Father, as we take time now to look at your word, Lord, open our hearts and minds. Speak to us by your spirit. Where we need to be convicted, would you bring that? Where we need to be inspired and encouraged, would you bring that? Lord, would you change us to be more like Christ, that we might live kingdom-first lives? And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. As you are probably aware, today is 9-11, 15th anniversary. And this past week, um, I saw a commercial that is probably the most tasteless commercial I've ever seen. Um, and I mean, I've seen some bad ones, but it, it was really bad. There was a, a company, and I'll leave them nameless, a mattress company that decided to have a twin mattress sale on 9-11. And the commercial is two towers of twin mattresses, a man standing in front of each one, and a woman here doing the promotion for the twin mattress sale. That you can get any sized mattress for the cost of a twin. And at the end of the commercial, they all start to rock and make these noises, and then the two men fall into the tower of mattresses, knock them over. The lady's falling, and she goes, we will never forget, and hits the ground. How, how do you ever even get past the idea that it's appropriate to celebrate a mattress sale on 9-11, let alone to that point. Now, it has been, uh, you can't, I mean, you may be able to find it on YouTube now, but it's been pulled away. In fact, it was enough because this said something, this commercial, it said something to all of the people that were outraged, and rightfully so. It said something about the values of this company. What are they about? What do they stand for? Now, whether they intended that or not, it came across. That commercial, I mean, the outrage was enough that the store has closed down. They will not be open at least through 9-11. They haven't decided what they're doing after that. But, I mean, it was just the outrage of this because that said something about the values. It said something about the person who owns this company. Why would you ever do that? We have been studying the way in which the king created his world, heaven and earth, his temple, put his image in that temple, and wanted his images to represent him. And we saw last week in Genesis chapter 3, instead of trusting in their king, they trusted in themselves. They followed the serpent. They did not represent the king to creation. And Yahweh drives them out. 
And from that point on, if you go from Genesis 4 to Genesis 11, it is one terrible thing after another. It is one horrible sin after another. To the point that in Genesis 6, as we looked at just briefly last week, that all of their thoughts, all of their actions, their intentions, all of it was evil. And maybe the height of it comes when they decide, humanity, the image bearers, they decide to make their own commercial about who God is, about who humanity is. They begin to construct the Tower of Babel. And what you may not recognize about that tower is it is their commercial for who they think God is, for who they are. Because you may have heard a sermon on this, and it will talk about pride, and it is true. This is about pride. However, let me talk to you for just a second about this tower. It is what is known as a ziggurat. Right? This is, it looks kind of like a pyramid, except the inside, there are no chambers. It's not hollow inside. It's all solid, and there are stairways, that, a stairway that leads up the side of it to the top where there's a chamber. That chamber, there would be a cot and some other furniture, and, and here's what a ziggurat is. It is the gateway between heaven and earth. All right, so jump back to Genesis 1. Yahweh creates heaven and earth as a unit, as his temple, he puts his image in it. Then his image falls, and Yahweh drives them out. Now you have God dwelling in heaven, and you get that language all the way through Scripture until Revelation 21 and 22. And then you've got earth. And from Genesis 4 to Genesis 11, you have mankind figuring out what does it mean when God isn't right here? How do we show who God is? How do we talk about who God is? If God's in heaven, what do we do? And they decide to take it on themselves. And here's what a ziggurat says. Number one, we as humanity will reconnect heaven and earth. We'll take it upon ourselves to make the gateway. Number two, God can be manipulated by us. Because that's what ziggurats were. We will make a gateway and then by our offerings, we will make the God come down and do the things we want. Is that the one true God? You see, their pride is not just building a big structure. It is thinking that they get to define what God does, what God is like. They get to decide God, you're going to act this way. You're going to do these things. God's response, and there's an irony in this, he comes down. They build this thing as high as they can possibly get it. He still has to come down to get to them. And then he separates them out. Why separate them? Partly because the command was to go forth and fill the earth. However, they are all together right now, the same language, unified in blasphemy. They are all unified in a terrible false view of who God is and who they are. 
that they have the right and the power to control what he does. And God says, I'm breaking this up. You're all going to go out. How much false information is there on God out there right now? How many commercials, not literally, but just how many expressions do we get right now that are telling us things about who God is, about who we are in relationship to him, that are false? In 2010, there were 107 trillion emails sent worldwide. 107 trillion. Over 89% of those were spam. Now, think about your inbox. Does it fit? How much information about God that we are getting is spam? It's controlling, it's wrong, it's false, it's dangerous. How do we know who the one true God is? How is he going to reveal himself? He has a plan. And I want to be up front. I think his plan is kind of lousy, if I can say that. I'm kind of concerned about his plan. And for a couple of reasons, open your Bible to Genesis 12. I want to show you his plan. Genesis 11 You've got mankind, you've got humanity saying, all right, God, this is who you are, this is who we are, this is what you're going to do for us. And God says, no, that's not happening like that. Genesis 12, let me show you how it's going to happen. Here is the plan. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here's what I don't like about his plan. He has decided to stick with the image bearers. You would think that from Genesis 3 to Genesis 11, he would have learned his lesson. I mean, he tried it with Adam and Eve. He gave them everything and said, I want you to trust me about this tree. Trust me. And they couldn't do it. You move into four and you get Cain and Abel. By the end, you've got a guy bragging about murder. You get to six and the whole world is so bad, he wipes all of humanity out except for Noah and his family. And then when you see Noah in the new world, the first thing you see, he's drunk and naked. You would think that God would go, I need a different plan here. Like, I've tried you people, and it is not working. And yet here we go. Like, he's got a shot right here. He had a chance to go, all right, I'm spreading you out, and I'm going to plan B. i got a brand new way I'm going to do this. But he doesn't. He grabs another image bearer, and essentially that first verse is Adam and Eve all over again. I want you guys to trust me, 
and I'm going to give you what you need. And here it is to Abram. Abram, I want you to go somewhere. I'm not going to tell you where it is, really. Not gonna, you just go this direction. I'm not going to tell you anything about it, but I'm going to do all these things for you. Trust me. Why would you start it again? But he does. And in fact, he starts it to a degree. I don't think, I told you last week, I am learning so much as I go through this. I, much of what I'm telling you, this isn't just rehashed from a sermon I preached five years ago, 10 years ago. I, I am learning a whole lot. And, and here's one thing I learned this, this past week. God's connection to Abraham, it is, it is huge. It is, like, you cannot say that when God connected himself to Abram, that he glued himself or that he taped himself, he welded himself to Abram permanently. Go through the Old Testament and just see how many times it's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but only because it started with Abraham. Go into the New Testament. You're still going to see it, the God of Abraham. You're also going to see the children of Abraham. As if God, I mean, Abraham sits here kind of in the middle. Like, here's God, here's Abraham, and here's his children. Even to the point that in Exodus, God identifies himself by that title, God of Abraham. I mean, I've gone a couple of times to school, and I've walked in, and it's like preschool. And I walk in, and the teacher says, oh, you must be Kenan's daddy. No, he's my son. Let's get this right. No, I am the God of Abraham. Think about what that means when Yahweh's identifying himself that way. God welded himself to Abraham. Right? The end of this, verse three, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham, I am working my plan through you. And then just follow it. Why do we have scripture? The children of Abraham. The prophets are the children of Abraham. All of the famous people you can think of, Moses, Joshua, Daniel, Isaiah, they're all the children of Abraham. This is why Paul in Romans will say, yes, there's an advantage to being a Jew because they had the prophets and the covenants they have all these, it came through Abraham, all the way to the point of Jesus. Don't miss that connection. Okay? He is the radiance of the glory of God and a perfect imprint of the Father. He is the one who will say to the disciples, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, who is Jesus. He is the perfect image bearer, but he is a child of Abraham because the plan starts here and just goes all the way through to Jesus. He never stops this. He welded himself to Abram and said, I'm gonna work my plan just like I was with Adam and Eve as image bearers. I'm gonna work it through you now. Now, what does that mean for us? What do we do with that? What we know is that the God of the universe who dwells in heaven, 
has said, I'm going to work my plan through Abram. Not through the ziggurat, not through your ideas about me. I'm going to reveal who I am through him, through his descendants. What does that mean for us? Number one, it means God wants to be known. Have you ever thought about that? He wants to be known. I mean, he could have given up. He could have gone through those first 11 chapters and gone, done. Like, you guys aren't worth it. But not only did he stick with us, he stuck with continuing to use us even after all of that. The God of the universe wants you to know him. And we talk about all the false information, all the spam that is coming out about who God is. God wants you to know who he is. He wants you to be able to stand with all of the 89 million billion emails, the 89%, well, that's not even billion, it's the 89% of 107 trillion, what is that? Some math person, a big trillion number. A bunch. God wants all that spam to be able to go there, but for you to know him, the real him. Do you, if you read the Bible in order to get some rules, in order to answer a particular question that you have, you're missing the point. This is about who he is. This is about teaching us who the God of the universe actually is amidst all of the spam that's in our world. Like, we have a privilege of going through this and going, he actually wants me to know him? He wants us to know him. There was a story about a little kindergarten boy this past week. And it, I think part of the reason it got highlighted because of everything going on with the flag and everything, but, but it got highlighted. This little boy, Reese Thompson, he was dropped off for kindergarten, and he's walking up, and they were running late. His mom dropped him off, then parked the car, and then headed back up. He was going to get in before the bell. And as she's walking up, he is still standing there, and he's just stopped. And he's just not doing anything. And from a distance, she says, Royce, Royce, get, get in the building. And there's some other kids that are rushing by him. And as she gets a little closer, there's an officer standing there. And the officer stops the mom and says, wait, wait, mom, stop. Look at him. He's doing the Pledge of Allegiance. The pledge had started because all these kids were late. And this kindergartner stopped dead in his tracks, covered his heart, and was saying the Pledge of Allegiance as all these other kids were just going by him to get in to the school. And right after the pledge, he did this and said a prayer because the little kid says a prayer after every time he does the Pledge of Allegiance. This is a silent prayer. That boy heard the pledge and responded even when everything else around him was chaos. This word is calling to us 
in a very personal way, saying, I want you to know me. I want you to know who I am. I want you to understand my heart. I don't want you to just know, think of me as a bunch of rules. Do this, do that. And if you don't do this, you'll get in trouble. And if you do that, I'm gonna, I want you to know me. That's why I stuck with my image bearers. That's why I said I'm revealing myself through Abram. And we have that privilege, church, to know him. But not just to know him. Here's what's interesting about God's plan. God's plan was generational. I'm gonna make you into a great nation, but it's gonna keep going. It's not gonna just be Abram. Abram is not the one that's gonna carry this through the centuries. Who's gonna carry it through the centuries? His kids, and then his kids, and, and then his kids, and then his kids. That's why in scripture you see this massive emphasis on teaching the next generation, on teaching the children and the children's children. Because that's not just a good thing to do. Our calling as parents and grandparents, it's not just like, well, it would be better for them if you did this. That is true. But it's also because God's plan was to work through the families, to go from generation to generation and to teach who he was and what he was doing and that we might pass that on. There's a Jewish saying I ran across this week that a Jew today is one who has Jewish grandchildren. And here was the explanation. You can think you're living a certain way just fine. You might even give that to your kids. The real question are you embodying a way of life so dramatically that it gets so much into your kids that it has to go into your grandkids too? That the test of who you are is in your grandchildren. I mean, talk about a big responsibility. That's kind of heavy. But it's that emphasis on family that we keep building into the next generations, not as just a duty, not as just something where we think, well, this is you know, what is best for them, but because it's actually God's plan moving through humanity. Parents, every time you are teaching your children about God, you are actually doing his plan. You are part of what he started with Abram and moving forward with it. All of that massive responsibility but all of that wonderful joy and privilege that we have to be that, to be image bearers for our kids. Now, if you are one of those who can't have children, that does not mean you are not a part of God's plan. If you are somebody who did all you could to raise your own kids and they maybe strayed, that does not mean you failed. Now, here's the thing. What I know about what I just said is it's scary. If I asked every parent in here to stand up if you were scared about discipling your kids, scared that you didn't have all the answers, 
Scared that you might not say the right things. Scared that you might do what you can, but it's still going to lead them astray. Probably every parent would stand up. Because we all recognize this is a really big thing. And, and then the pastor just made it bigger. Like, not only am I supposed to raise my children in the Lord, but that's actually God's plan. And as it moves forward, so does God's plan. Oh my goodness, could you set more burden on me, please? I get it, because I'm there. I've got my own. I've got a 10, 5, and 3-year-old. It's not easy, and it's scary. But here's the last thing I would say about what we gain from this. You saw the sin in Genesis 3 through 11. Well, guess what? Abram, he's going to mess up too. Moses, he's going to mess up too. David, he's going to mess up too. It's just going to keep happening. Like they're going to keep messing up. These giants of faith are going to keep messing up. But it tells us something about the way that God's plan works that I want you to hear because there is a freedom and a joy in this. God does not need your perfection to do what he wants to accomplish. Look in your Bible at Genesis 15. Genesis chapter 15. God has promised Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation. But he can't have a child. His wife is barren. And so in chapter 15, verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue to be childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Lord, like I don't have a kid and I can't have one, and I'm getting older. How are you going to make this work? And God says, I want you to go out, and I want you to look at the stars. Your descendants are going to be that many. And look at verse 6. And he believed Yahweh, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Notice the righteousness doesn't come because of anything that he accomplished it wasn't how well he raised his kids. It wasn't how well he brought forward what Yahweh was telling him to do. It was that he believed Yahweh could do what Yahweh wanted to do. That's where it came from. If you go to Hebrews chapter 11, it's the, that faith chapter, and it starts out by defining faith, not in what we do, but having a conviction that something we're hoping for can happen. And then there's all these examples. And here, here's one of the examples. Let's use Abraham. Abraham, when he went on the mountain to sacrifice his own son, he believed so much that Yahweh could accomplish what Yahweh wanted to do that he thought if this happens, he could raise him from the dead. But notice where the faith is. It's not in Abram's perfection. It's not in how well Abram does. It is in that God can do all that God says he's going to do. And he believes it so much that he just jumps on board. 
He says, I am totally in because I believe you can do this. And I'll just play whatever part you have, no matter how imperfectly that is. This week, uh, my wife has been practicing piano. Um, if you haven't seen, she's been playing. And my, my wife is a violinist who is learning to play piano. And, and the piano room is near where my office is. And so I'm working, and I see my wife walk out of the room after she's been practicing, and my three-year-old son walk into the room. And he sits down at the piano. And I want to tell you or show you what I heard when he sat down at the piano. So I'm in there working, and I know he's in there, and this is what I hear. A moment, I sat up and like all the hairs on my back, I mean, I'm just, I'm going, we have a prodigy. <laughs> and I'm running into my wife going, forget the other children. <laughs> this one, just stick with this one. Like we got to get on board with this. He's amazing. He's three years old and look what he's doing. And, and I, okay, all right, wait, calm down. There's got to be some other explanation. <laughs> but did you hear that? The, it had that same kind of sound. And so it was just, for just a moment, I believed so much in my son's ability that I was ready to just give up everything. I'm like, I'll quit it all. We'll quit the church. We're just following our son. I mean, we're gonna, he's going to make it. Like, he will make it. I want to be there with him. That's the point. God is the one saying, this is what I want to do, and I'm going to do it. And, and we have the hind, we get to look back where they were looking forward, and we get to see that Christ came, that God is fulfilling everything he said he would fulfill. This is not about our perfection, but his. It's not about how good we are at what we do, but believing that he is as good as he says he is. Parents, grandparents, we have the honor and privilege of taking this step, of being a part of what God is doing and saying we're going to bring up the next generation and the next generation. Stepping in there when you're going, I don't even know what to pray. That's okay. Just pray with them. I don't know what to ask. I don't know what to, uh, how to have this conversation with them. Can I tell you, and I want to brag here at the end on our teachers. Our teachers are doing a phenomenal job. And I want to tell you something. They're doing part of our job as parents. Right? We get together once a month, and we talk about the next four sermons. And then I send them notes, and they write their, they write their Sunday school lessons off of the notes so that your kids and my kids, they're learning the same thing we're learning. And here's why. 
I'm driving with my daughter after church last week, and I'm about to say something that um, I can only say it if you promise not to tell my daughter I said it. She really doesn't want this out, and I'll tell you why at the end, and my wife doesn't know about it. She's about to learn for the first time, but I'll leave her in the back so she doesn't have to get really embarrassed. I said, so tell me what you guys learned. And, and she repeated the three points of the sermon. I said, well, talk to me about it. And she was able to talk about what it means to distrust God from her Sunday school class. And she goes, and, and I said, anything else? Did you guys do a project or something? She said, at the end of every class, Miss Lisa asks us to go do something that's in line with what we're learning. And she said, for example, last week, because we were on this week, so they hadn't done it yet, Last week, when we talked about image of God, Miss Lisa said, I want you to do two things. I want you to find somebody who is being the image of God to somebody else, and I want you to be the image of God. I want you to share God with somebody else. And so my daughter did find somebody at school that she thought represented the image of God, but then she wanted to do something. My daughter went in while my wife and I were busy, and my wife is going to know exactly what this is when I say it. She didn't know it. And she started folding the towels. My wife came out. We, we walked in the house, and she goes, did you fold those? I said, no. She goes, oh, I must have. I, I guess I forgot. <laughs> My daughter did. And she went in there, and she had to do it a couple at a time, she said, because we kept turning around, and we kept coming into the room, and she didn't want us to know. And I said, honey, and this is the part I want you to hear, why didn't you want us to know? Because God does so much for us, I wanted to be able to do something for you guys to show him to you, but here's what I know about you guys. Whenever you do that for us, you don't get praise for it. You just do it. You do so much for us, and, and, and it doesn't get recognized. I just wanted to be able to do it for the right reason. I wanted to be able to represent God to mommy without getting any praise for it. That's coming from our Sunday schools. All we got to do, parents, is talk to our kids. Take the questions that Nancy is sending from the, the teachers. Just talk to them. Don't worry about all the right answers. Trust that God is big enough. All we got to do is faithfully engage. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for wanting to be known. Thank you that you, you didn't give up on us, even though we screwed up badly and continue to. You don't give up on us. Lord, thank you for the privilege of, of having children, grandchildren. Lord, help us to just engage them and to trust you, not us, because you are faithful and always have been. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.